Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris, or Velosos, and you're listening to So Over 50 Thursday on So Organised Style Podcast. Stay listening. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Hi everyone, it's Maria and today on So Over 50 Thursday we have a really lovely guest, this time from Germany and you would have seen her on the Sober 50 account, but also she does a bit of a twinning, dueling, Instagrammy type of thing with Julie Yost, who is consistently different designs. But we're here to talk to Gabrielle in Berlin. Hi, Gabrielle. Hello, Maria. How are you? Good. Lovely to see you and thank you for being on So Over 50 Thursday. I'm so, so proud and happy to be invited. Thank you. You're amongst a lot of really lovely Sober 50 people who have been on the podcast and also part of the community. So I'm really honored that you're here as well. What is your Instagram name and how did you develop it? The Instagram name is a twist of words and is actually the invention of the best husband of all mine. (laughs) Or let's say the biggest husband of all mine, if it's the best, maybe, but he's probably the tallest. We moved out of Frankfurt in 2010 and he was quite late organizing his stuff. And then there was this huge pile of silk ties that he had collected, of course, over the course of his professional career, so like 25 years or so. And he wanted to throw them all away. They were white and parrots on them. And some of them were really very, very nice silks, designer pieces from Armani, Missoni, and you know, whatever he had collected in some airport. And I said, oh, they're too nice to throw away. The silk is so beautiful. So when I looked at all these nice silk ties, I thought they were much too beautiful to throw away. I took them with me in a special bag and they went into storage. They still are, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh. When we moved to Berlin, there was a little fabric store around the corner, which had a sign in the window that they were offering sewing classes. So I went in and, and spoke to the owner, Lara, and that's how it started. I took sewing classes and I made my first couch cushions in Alexander Henry fabric with skulls on it. Well done. And from the beginning, I had this style of always mixing a front and a back. It was never the same material on both sides. It was always a different pattern and a different material. I think in my fourth class, I learned how to put a zipper in. And in my sixth class, I learned how to do piping. And I was so infatuated with my cushion making that I thought I could start a business. So if you have a business, you need a name. That's where the husband comes back in again. Because he said I should call it Kissentus. Kissen is the German word for pillow or cushion. We don't have a distinction between the two. That's why I never know which word to use. I think it's a couch cushion and a bedroom pillow, but I'm not sure. So Kissen, but it's actually spelled K-I-S-S-E-N. He said I should drop the E to make it more alluding to the English to kiss, which would be fun. So it's Kissen, like kissing. And Tuss actually is a colloquial name for a little obnoxious girl or woman. It's a Tussie. If you talk like, oh my God, yeah, she's a Tussie. <laughs> that, it has been in this use for so long that now little shops are starting to use it. So if you want to sell pasta, you have booths there that call themselves Pasta Tussie. Okay. It's been such a 
use a word that now it's fun. And I looked it up. The word actually comes from Tusnelda, which was the wife of Arminius, Hermann der Karuska, who is the, in, in German legend, the founder of Germany, because he beat up the Romans in famous Varusschlacht, the beginning of time, nine or 12 after Christ. So she was a noble woman, Mrs. Tusnelda. <laughs> so I thought, Kissentus would be quite a fun name. And then I looked online how to get little labels and you could actually buy the crown without paying any royalties for that. So I have this little face of a girl with a little crown and Kissentus as my name. That's a great story. And it tells me more about German history too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does that mean that you've only started sewing in 2016? Yes, that's true. A lot of the Sew Over 50 guests that we've had have been sewing all of their lives So I'm really pleased that we have someone in the Sober 50 community who is a recent learner to the sewing world. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm still a novice. I went to a sewing camp in 2019. And uh, in the sewing classes I had taken here in Berlin, I thought I'm quite good compared to the others in my class. You know, especially after the 10th class, I thought, wow, I'm really good. And then I went to a sewing camp and oh my God, I was not good compared to all the others. It was quite a revelation to understand how much more was there in terms of technicalities and how a real straight line zipper looks. I still can't do an invisible zipper. It's still visible. Okay. That was a good experience. And Lara stopped giving classes and I asked her or spoke to her, mentioned it, that I was a bit frustrated because I wasn't getting better. And then she gave me a name and placed me under tutorage of Lore. She's a trained uh, dressmaker or tailor. I don't know how to translate that. It's a trade that you learn. It's a vocational training. After three years, you become Geselle. But if you do another three years, which is equivalent to a college degree, then you are a master. She did all that and she's, she's brilliant. So I'm learning to do all the ironing after each scene. <laughs> I'm learning how to measure properly. I'm learning how to cut properly. I'm learning how to stay patient and calm. It's really, really good. What's the German term that you use to describe her skill set? Schneidermeister. Ah. Schneidermeister is the male term. Schneidermeisterin is the female version. And Schneidern is what you do. The sewing activity. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a Grimm's fairy tale also about the brave little Schneider, das tapfere Schneiderlein, which I have to find a use for in one of my Instagram feeds. Because you've used a Grimm tale in one of your Instagram feeds recently, haven't you? Yes, exactly. Would you like to tell our listeners about that one? Yeah. Instagram really has opened a new world for me. Lara, again, who brought me to sewing, Mm -hmm. she also said I should open an Instagram account, which I then did only, I think, in 2017. I remember when I had eight little likes, I was very happy. And then over time, I don't know how it, it accumulated, it got more. Instagram has this algorithm. And I remember when I was at the first sewing camp in September 2019, Mm -hmm. it showed me a picture of a wonderful skirt, which was shown by So Over 50. And I thought, wow, this is a Van Gogh. How can you put a Van Gogh on the skirt? 
So that was consistently different design. Julie, yours the skirt, which was shown by so over 50. So I started following both. And then following so over 50, you know, opens a whole new world because they always show other people and talk about things. And it was very educational. And then I started following other people. And about that time, I switched to writing only in English. I had started with German only. Then at a short period, I did both, which I found annoying. And now it's English only. So I followed Julie and she was quiet for some time. There was no new activity. And then it was when she said she, she sold her home right before Corona started and then didn't find a new one and was living in a motel for three months. And I kept telling that over lunch to my husband or uh, on the phone to my family. Can you imagine, you know, we're thinking we are troubled here in our lockdown, but you live in a motel? Everything else is closed. How terrible is that? And then Julie came back online that she found a house, that he found a place, and she had her wedding anniversary picture there, 40 years. And I found that so cool that she made her own dress and that she made all the bridesmaids' dresses. I sent her a direct message with my wedding photo, and then we started chatting. And we've been chatting ever since, every day, every day. I don't talk to anybody as much as I talk to Julie. The twinning started because I had made a lounge pants with a leopard kind of print. And she did that shortly afterwards. And she showed it while she was having a nap on the sofa. And I said, Richard, come on, take a photo of me. I got similar pants. And then I just did it. I just <laughs> did the same photo twice. And I was a little bit, mm, I haven't asked her now because she was still asleep, you know, with the time difference. Yes. I just did it. And I was kind of like, ah, is that okay with you? I hope you're not upset. I said, nah, it's fine. Yeah, she published it before. So the twinning idea was born and we wanted to do something with it, but we haven't figured out yet how exactly. And then when I got my red coat from Stock's pattern, she was so in love with that. So she made one herself too. And we thought, oh, we have to do something with the two red coats. <laughs> As I was the lazy girl here, I bought mine at Lindy's because she has a shop where she also sells the things that she invents and makes. I thought I was the naughty girl, the Pech Marie, while Julie made hers herself. She was the gold Marie, the good girl, which in the fairy tale is showered in gold, while the other girl, me, would be showered in tar. But that's in the fairy tale. However, in the Instagram photo, you're both wearing this amazing red coat. Yes, it's amazing how similar they look because it's different material. Mine is cooked wool mm -hmm. and hers is fleece. And, but she did it so beautifully with the binding and all the little details. I mean, I'm still amazed what Julie is doing yeah, with mm -hmm. her bar picking and, and painting of her fabrics. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, she's very talented. So prior to sewing, did you have any other crafts that you would do? When I was a child, I did makami. Remember the 70s? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. All the aunts and grannies got makami for birthdays and Christmas. They must have loved it. <laughs> and then there was animal or anneal. Oh, enameling. Yeah, it can be anything that's made of copper. Okay. It's powder. It's powder. Anything that's made of copper, you put powder on it and then you burn it in the oven and then mm -hmm. it comes out like that. And when you put different colored powders on, you can make little flowers with this 
with a little pen. And there's special ornaments you can put on and then it gets all glazed in the oven. Okay, so it's almost like enameling. Exactly, that's the word. I'm just pronouncing it the German way. Okay. <laughs> the only other creative things I did later, I mean, I, I worked quite hard and a lot in my professional life, so there was not much time to do anything else. I like going shopping. <laughs> I did that a lot. And I had a very stressful time at one point where I couldn't cope with anything that was too intellectual. So I bought the Vogue, the UK Vogue. I read the UK Vogue for like two, three, four years every month. And I became an expert in pattern matching. I, I knew all the labels, all the shoe brands. I could look at a picture and I knew exactly who made it. And I think that kind of trained the eye. And the UK Vogue always had tongue in cheek. They were always good in mix matching and putting things together. The German Vogue is very classic. You know, if you spend that much money on a dress, it has to last for 20 years. Well, if I buy a black dress, why does it have to be Alexander McQueen? Huh? It looks like any other black dress. <laughs> True. I think that's where I got the idea of colors of fabrics. And I started going shopping with friends and, and kind of advising them what looks good on them and what doesn't and what goes together and what doesn't. Some tricks to how to work with your silhouette because there's not a wrong body, there's only wrong clothes. So I think that was kind of the basis. So it was not any creativity I had on my own, but this fascination for colors and fabrics. And it's still something that I enjoy with sewing. I'm getting better with actually enjoying sewing as a technique. Mm -hmm. But what kept me there, especially in the beginning, was touching the fabrics and being in the fabric store and saying, ah, if I take that flowery, can I find some checks that go with it? And ah. That was kind of a fascination more than actually being able to do a buttonhole. You could say that it's the planning of the project that you love. Yeah. And touching the fabrics and colours and prints, etc. Yeah, I've become a fabric water as a consequence. Oh, that's okay. There's quite a lot of us. <laughs> In the beginning, I felt so guilty because I thought I buy the fabric for one project, you know, for a certain family of pillows I want to do. And then I do that and then I buy, go to the next project. In the apartment and the flat that we were living in there, my sewing room was the guest room and I had a real bed, a double bed. So after a while, it was stacked with all these little piles that I was like, I always felt the pressure. I have to work harder because the piles are growing. Yeah. So then yeah. I bought boxes to hide the stuff so that only two piles. But that cure didn't last long because at one point all the boxes were filled. So it's still something that I do. I still buy more fabric than I can use up. But I don't feel guilty anymore about it. I just call myself a fabric connector that also does a little bit of sewing and not the other way around. Your story is really amazing. When we were talking earlier, there's another part of your story that came out of making the cushions. Yeah, when I started doing the cushions and I got so blown away by all the fabrics that are out there. Yeah. I still am. All these designers and the different brands, it's, it's amazing. I can't stop. And with my previous life, of course, I'm still a brand addict. There are certain brands that I will always go for. And I'm a little bit hesitant to go for non-branded fabrics because my experience was mixed there. So I thought, my pillows are, oh, yeah, I love them. Everybody needs to love them. Of course, family and friends that I talked to about, they love them as well. They had to. So I thought I'm going to start a little business. Yeah, I had 
my label and I could do the pillows and you could do smaller ones and bigger ones. And actually everybody has a sofa, so everybody needs a couch pillow. And I found three stores in Berlin that would sell them. Yeah. I had a friend who was taking me by the hand to do a website and, you know, go. Yeah. <laughs> How to price. I did a little spreadsheet. Yeah. With cost plus pricing. Oh my God. I mean, my hourly wage was still about 10, 12 euros and still these things were massively expensive. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of little fairs like flea markets where you can also sell your self-made things. And people were selling their own handmade pillow cases for 20 euros. They were selling the little pouches, little cosmetic sponge bags for 20 euros. I was like, how can they do that? You have to pay taxes. Yeah, Take 20% off just for tax. So my experience was that people buy cheaply. At, at Ikea, you can get pillowcases for 15 euros and they don't want a unique thing. Mine were unique. You know, there was only one of a kind. It was just this one. And there were families made from the same fabric, but every pillow was different. So that didn't work. I've been a consultant in my previous life. If I had consulted myself or advised myself, I would have done a business plan before and I would have known. But, you know, if you are passionate about something, you just want to do it. I tried it. But I had told everybody in my group of family and friends and they came back and they wanted pillows. Yeah, my goddaughter, birthday, and she plays the violin. Can you make a pillowcase with a violin on it? We are invited to a wedding anniversary and we met them at a camping ground. Can you do a pillow with camping buses on them? Yeah, you can always find a theme. But I didn't know how to price it. You know, what do I want to charge my friends? And if I do the hours, do I take a perfect hour? Or do they have to pay for the unpicking if the piping didn't work? So what I did is I have fixed prices for standard things, like little pouches and shopping bags. And if there's something special and I have to buy the fabric specially for the project, then it's just the, the cost of material. And I ask them to donate an amount they find appropriate to a charity of their choosing. Some people ask me what I would recommend and I have like four or five charities that I like a lot, but others might have other preferences. And the good thing is I feel good about it. They feel good about it. They get a tax benefit for the donation. And then there's the charity itself that gets the money. And some people have followed up and sent me emails or receipts how much they donated. And I get tears in my eyes just now thinking of it. They've been very, very generous. Makes me feel proud too. Yeah, it's quite heartwarming to hear that the people who have come to you and had work commissioned have paid it forward to the charity in recognition of your efforts to make those pieces. That's lovely. Yeah, they are part of the design process. You know, they're giving me the task and they are specific, like what topic, what theme. Sometimes I have fabric already here in my stash so I can show them. Sometimes I research and give them a variety to choose from. I tell them, you know, you can say when you give this as a present, as a gift, I had this made for you. Yeah. And it's unique. It's it's one of a kind. How long have you been doing this where you're making a commissioned piece and the person who commissions it provides a donation to a charity? Well, I started in fall 2016, and then sometime in 2017, I started to sell pillows, which didn't work. 
So I guess in 2018, I switched gear and said, this is how it's done. I have these three categories where, you know, a little pouch bag is 25 and a shopper is 30. And if it has a zipper, it's 40. And I did bucket heads this year, this summer. I love those. They're so fun. So they have a fixed price and everybody told me it's too cheap. It's, it's the cost of material plus a little bit. I wouldn't want to charge 40. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I like it when people come back and, and say, can you do something for me? Do you have time? And I must say, my wardrobe is <laughs> it's quite full already. So it's good if I can do something for other people. Yeah, it gives you a break from sewing for yourself because now you're sewing for other people as well as forwarding part of that onto charity. Yes. That's Wonderful concept. Very wonderful concept. Thank you. So over 50, when you found it, I mean, you've met Julie and Mm -hmm. you've been talking to each other every day since you met. Are there other fun parts of the Sew 50 account that you want to talk about? I learned a lot. It's kind of long distance uh, tutoring. Um, That was very helpful. I found an array of, of other people that I chat with on a regular basis all over the world. I really, really enjoy that too, the the spread. And it starts with sewing comments, but then, you know, it goes into other areas as well. I don't think I would have survived a bit too much, but the Corona situation, the lockdowns, the isolation are not that easy to bear with. And I think uh, the so over 50 community helped me go through that or still does because I'm not alone. Exactly. There's so many of us who are in different countries who are in lockdown. So over 50 has been wonderful in keeping us all together. I still don't understand how Judith and Santa do it. I don't know. They have a fairy there that gives them five hours extra every day. They always comment. They always reply. And even not a to the official things they do on, on Instagram, on the feed, on the grid, but also then the direct messages. Um, they do their own stories. They do their own um, grids. I mean, I'm just doing a little bit and I'm quite busy. <laughs> when I'm standing in the hallway with my phone in my hand, Richard says, are you Instagramming again? Yeah, look, you're right about Judith and Sandy. They do this 24-7 and they've been doing this now for, I think we're coming into the third year. They have guest posts. If you've got a guest post, you've got to help them through. And they've been really lovely in educating us around technology and how to use Instagram. Yeah, how to use Instagram, but there's also a lot of sewing tips. For me, it's a bit difficult because the terms don't translate in English and and German. So sometimes there's an explanation. (laughs) I don't get it. And Google Translate doesn't help. No. I'm using English language patterns, but then there's always, there's images that go with it and there's a flow. So it's a bit easier. Sometimes there's even a video that you can look up, but I'm getting there. You know, I know what basting is now and I know what a nap is. So that's, that's very helpful. It's, it's using Instagram, it's sewing, it's sharing joys and frustrations with others. I remember... There was an account, someone that's been sewing the most beautiful things for a very long time, admitting to having, I don't know what it was, the leg of an overall upside down 
know, I was like, what happened to her? Okay. If that happens to me, then it's not that bad. That's right. Even the experts can have odd days. What might be interesting also probably um, happen to other people as well. I don't know, because as you said, I'm, I'm rather new to the trade. It gives me much more respect for trade as such. When people buy houses, have renovations and stuff like that, you know, you're depending on the plumber or the people that does your floorboards and stuff like that. And I know, understand just for sewing, how many different expertises are there. And one says you have to do it this way. No, you have to do it that way. You know, it's not clear cut. So now that I know how long it takes for me to do a good zipper, I'm still struggling. Everything that is a trade is you need the experience and you need the love for doing it. And it's same with doctors, I think, medical doctors. But, you know, to have a higher standard that it's perfect, yeah? To look into the detail, if it's really the right color and really fits well. I think that was a side effect of learning how to sew for me to have a better understanding how trade works. It's, I've, I've done an office job before. And of course, you need experience there as well. But there are a lot of areas where you can just transfer experience from one part to the other. Yeah. But with something more manual, you cannot. You need to have done the zipper. And piping is different again. <laughs> can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. When you've gone from learning your initial skills at that class, and then you went to the sewing camp, and you learned that there were so many other skills to pick up, Mm -hmm. does it keep you motivated that you can actually do something in a few different ways? I think it keeps me on my toes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's good advice and bad advice and no advice. I've had patterns where the instructions were strange and I did it my own way as I learned at the sewing camp or at a tutoring or, or I just invented myself. So there's good advice that is really helpful and that makes it easier for me. Mm -hmm. And then there is a standard way that somehow doesn't work for me. I don't know why, but I find it awkward or I cannot understand it. So it's both. It's really ambiguous. It's, I have more respect now for how to treat a certain material. Yeah. That certain materials you cannot use or should not use for certain purposes. It just will not give you a satisfying result. Yeah. So that's one learning curve where you can get advice or you learn it the hard way by yourself, what works, what doesn't work. But then how to do the zipper, especially the invisible zipper, which I'm still struggling with. And if you look at YouTube, there's various techniques how to do it. You can start both ways at the top and then meet at the, at the end, or you can go down and then up again. You can close the side seam before or you close it afterwards. You have to choose what works for you. So I'm still learning. And then there are some musts, like I said before, you should iron the seam before you go to the next step. <laughs> yes. I never did that before. Oh, no, it has to be finished now. Pile is waiting, more project. So that's being more calm. That's something you cannot beat. That's something you should adhere to. And then choosing the right material for the right pattern and which materials you can join together and which are going to be more problematic. There was this one experience which I shared on Instagram where I wasn't careful enough or just didn't know. Yeah. I had this one pattern for flexible um, fabric, 
a jacket, a cardigan, which I liked, and then I did it in soft wool. Very, very nice and fluffy. Yeah, it broke, it broke, all seams broke. I wore it for three hours and all seams were broken. The, the material was torn apart. That won't happen again. <laughs> you learnt a lot that time. I did, I did. And what I also saw at the sewing camp is that certain pattern, but that comes again from the Vogue experience I said earlier. Yep. Certain patterns and certain fabrics go better with certain body shapes. I saw women there who technically were so advanced and so perfect, but I think they chose the wrong pattern or the wrong fabric for themselves. Okay. The reason I asked that question is because I'm always interested to find out from people who have just started to sew and who absolutely love it, which you do, and you love everything about fabric and patterns, what it is that keeps you motivated and and how you keep learning and what drives you to learn. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's a journey. It is. There's so professional, Des in the UK, and she just shared in her stories how she did this blazer. And I'm like, oh my God, how many single steps are that? I mean, so maybe in two or three years, I can do that too. Maybe five, maybe never. You can always admire the workmanship, which is great. I do. And a friend of mine who is also a trained dressmaker, she only chooses difficult things and she does it slowly and she enjoys the hand stitching. And I can see why you can reach that point where it's not about just getting things done and admiring the result, you know, from the pile of fabrics to the end garment. But I'm not there yet. And I still see all this fabric I have gathered and I want to make something with it. <laughs> oh, okay, we'll see. You will. You will make something one piece at a time <laughs> or bundle many pieces together. The good thing is I have two nieces and they're growing. So they need new clothes every six months. They're helping you out. They're helping me out. It's just the four-year-old now will only wear if it has a unicorn on it. So all the little lions I bought or the little minion <laughs> fabric I have stacked here. Nope, no unicorn. Nope. They were visiting the other aunt from the other side of the family. And my brother had to go home to get the unicorn leggings. That's what you do. That's what happens. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can I share a joke with you, which Julie liked a lot? Okay. There's this new sailor on a naval vessel. Yes. And then he's getting this emergency call. Mayday! Mayday! We are sinking! We are sinking! And the German sailor says, what are you thinking about? <laughs> I understand, Gabrielle. We, we watch all the movies in the original version because most of the dubbing in German is not very well done and the voices are all the same so there was this hype on instagram about the crown mm -hmm. and i'm just i think i'm on season one episode four or five. Oh yeah and um the dowager queen mary is german mary of tech and she's visited by the hanover relative mm -hmm. and they're conversing in german and i can tell you they speak german with an english accent Thank you for giving us that very important information. <laughs> so funny. There were times in the 80s when all the evil guys were German, like Die Hard. Yeah. And um, I think of the terrorist in Die Hard 1. Only one is a native German. All the others say, Otto, come here! With an American accent. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for holding my hand. 
Gabriel, you have been such a wonderful guest for So Over 50 Thursday, and I'm really pleased that you've given us your time. You're such a young sewer because you've been doing it since 2016 and telling us all the stories about the ties, what you've been through with the cushions, and these really important facts about the movies and whether they are speaking German in a German accent or not. Yeah, Hollywood is getting better though now. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So much fun. I'm so amazed and really pleased that you started your sewing journey so recently and you're totally motivated and just love it. Thank you again, Gabrielle, for coming on to Sew Over 50 Thursday. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Sew Organised Style Podcast for Sew Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Gabrielle in Berlin. Sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Sew Organised Style Podcast, spelled with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and from all good podcast apps. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our website at seworganisedstylepodcast.com or on Sew Organised Style Instagram account or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.